Open your Bibles with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Thank you for being here with us today to worship. What a great God we serve. This past week, we've seen His faithfulness in so many ways. We're here this morning because He allows us to be here. We celebrate the birth of a great nation. 245 years, it's been a struggle to be what some have called that more perfect union. But we're blessed that we can worship and live in a great nation like America. I, w- I would say to you this morning as we get ready to read our scripture passage, our greatest need in America is that we as a church would make disciples. That's our greatest need. I know that it's easy for us to point to the White House and say that's where all of our problems are in Washington. But really it's, it's our house, isn't it? It's we pastors, we church members, that's, that's where the answer is that God has given us his word, his ways, he's given us the gospel. We know that's where the answer is. 1 Timothy chapter 4, let's, be, let's stand and let's read verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself And on the teaching, persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. You may be seated. As we get ready to pray this morning, again, we want to pray for our nation, but we also want to pray for our church family. We believe that God's called us to do His work. Uh, Donna and I have some special guests with us this morning, and I know they're going to hate me putting them on the spot this morning, and so I'm going to do this as gently as I can. One reason that I want to point them out is because they have three of our grandchildren with them. (laughs) But many of you influenced one of our sons, Jacob, and his wife, Haley. Uh, Many of you who've been here for years, you, you know Haley grew up here at Lawndale, and Jacob spent uh, his high school years here. And so many of you in, in the student ministry and otherwise have been an influence on them. And I'm, I'm going to ask them this morning just to stand up, if they would. Jacob and Haley, I, I am so sorry, guys. <laughs> Eli is up here with them. And Selah and Canaan. And my son Jacob would do me the greatest honor if he would pray for our church this morning. Jacob. Father, what a joy it is to be able to gather here, to be among this body again. Father, I am so grateful for the impact that Lawndale, so many of its members, so many of its people have had on myself, have had on my family and now even my children, the way that they're impacted because of the investment that this church made in me and in my wife. Father, Lord, as we gather here this morning, we do ask that you use this time to honor and magnify your name. Lord, that you would be glorified as my dad preaches the sermon this morning, as he delivers your word. 
Father, that we would look to you. Thank you for this time. In the name of the good King Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church family, for giving me uh, latitude to do that. Uh, Jacob and Haley are serving at Colts Neck Community Church in New Jersey. He's one of the pastors on their staff. And again, that's part of what we do, isn't it? Make disciples as a church family, and we send people out, and how much of a blessing it is to watch them serve. As we look at our text this morning, the church's public perception Sometimes we place too much emphasis on the how the world sees the church. Sometimes we don't put enough emphasis on how the world sees the church. It's interesting where Paul goes with this text in helping Timothy as he pastors the church at Ephesus to rightly see this. Timothy, as the pastor of the church, struggled some with the authority he had been given as a pastor. I think people in general struggle with authority, feel uncomfortable with it. Sometimes it's just because we don't really like authority too much. We're rebellious. We're individualistic. We're sinners, and we want what we want, and it doesn't matter what anybody else says. I think there's some of that that maybe rests in all of us. We struggle with authority and leadership. I think partly we struggle with it because we have seen leadership abused, and misused. And we become skeptical because we've seen leaders misuse authority. And, and then there's that level that maybe we don't give too much grace to others. When I'm counseling couples and we're talking about roles within a marriage, we talk about two equal people who are both giving input and trying to uh, be a team and moving forward and doing God's will for them and their family. But there are those times when, when the husband uh, leads out. He should be the leader the whole time. But there are times that maybe uh, they may not agree on certain issues. And the husband leads out. And the wife is following. Not, not anything that would be ungodly or unbiblical. But maybe preferences. And, and he's leading. And he's feeling the weight of that responsibility. And I'll tell young ladies... Sometimes you've got to show your husband a lot of grace. He's, he's carrying a heavy weight of responsibility. And he's not always going to be right. Sometimes his preference, his view of how to lead is not always right. Show him a lot of grace. He's going to make some mistakes along the way. And he's going to need that. Well, it's the same way in the church and any other way of leading. Nobody's perfect. Nobody gets it all right. And sometimes we don't want to give a lot of grace and were uncomfortable with authority. Timothy was one of those leaders who was uncomfortable with authority. I think we get that in verse 11 when Paul said, command and teach these things. Timothy, most people would agree, was a little bit more timid. He was a little bit more laid back. He was one of those guys that he didn't really want to ruffle a lot of feathers. He loved God and he wanted to move forward and do the will of God. And there were times it cost him much more than just the energy to do what God was leading him to do. But it cost him the social energy of knowing not everybody is going to see things the way that he was seeing them. And Paul says to Timothy, this timid young man, command and teach these things. Now, as you read both of these letters that Paul wrote to him, I think there are a number of reasons why we would conclude that Timothy was a little shy about his leadership. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, 
in verse 7, remember what Paul was saying. Maybe back up to verse 6 to him. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And again, these passages and others make most of us feel like Timothy was one who had to be pushed a little bit to make decisions and lead out. I, I think most of us would agree, probably you want someone like that leading it. Uh, Moses was a little bit shy uh, in the sense of, I'm not eloquent enough. Lord, I, I don't think I can do this. Who am I going to say sent me? Will they believe me? Lord, please send somebody else. And so there are those times that you see that inherent in leaders. Some can enjoy leadership a little too much, where they become more of that high D personality and everybody's got to do it their way or it's going to not be any kind of way. And in both situations, whether someone may be a little bit more of a high D, someone may be a little bit more laid back and a little bit more shy about leading out front, that's where the plurality really comes into play, isn't it? Because sometimes there may be a, uh, other pastors and elders who will kind of pull back a little bit and say, you know, you're, you're getting out a little too far out in front. Or there may be that group who will push out a little bit and say, you know, we got to keep making progress. We can't stop where we are. Personally, I think I can relate to Timothy really well. I, I feel like for me, it's always that uh, timidity of saying, you know, I want everybody to like me. I want everybody to be on board. And if we're not all on board, that, that person over here, this person over here, that weighs heavy on me. Because I, I think all the flock is important. And some of my nature in and of itself as your lead pastor makes me oftentimes hesitant. And, and there are days... I'm confessing here. Maybe this is my therapy session here. <laughs> there are days I get up and my stomach's turning because, God, this is your church, and I want to lead it well. And some days people might not, on, might not be on board. You know, I believe that's one of the reasons that God allowed me to come in as your lead pastor at the time I did. It's coming out of COVID it was easier to move with some things that I, I felt were part of what a healthy church would look like. And, and it gave me a little bit of momentum to say, you know, in the fall when people come to church, boy, you, you think you've experienced change now. Just wait till the fall. We're, we're, I'm, we're really going to show you change. I'm, I'm somewhat being uh, humorous in that sense. But it, it's a part of how God works, isn't it? His sovereignty and His plan. And for us, sometimes we feel uncomfortable. And even, I, I, I guess, on, a, on that same personal note, I want to thank so many of you for being patient. And there are some of you who noticed this, uh, even about me. And I've heard so many of you say, you know, Rodney, you just got to lead. You can't worry about this and that and opinions and preferences. Rodney, when God is leading you, you lead our church family. And when I come back to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, I hear Paul say, command and teach these things. And then in verse 12, notice what he says here. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. And this is our first point this morning. 
be more concerned about your example to others than the opinions of others. That's really hard for some of you and for me, isn't it? That's really hard for a lot of us. But be more concerned about your example to others than the opinion of others. How others view us is important. But it's not ultimate. Paul, when he was giving the qualifications for elders, he, he said how others view those leaders on the outside of the church is important. Notice back in 1 Timothy 3 verse 7. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. What outsiders, what unbelievers, what people outside the church think of we in the church, pastors and members, is important. God's never saying it's not important. He's just not saying it's ultimate. And then Paul is saying something about the fact how others view Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech. Where he's actually going with this is, although it's important what others think, it's more important what, uh, what the people inside the church think. What the body, as we come together as fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, how we take the Word of God and study the Word of God and how we work to be a united body, to be one body, it's more important than what the outside think, it's what the inside think because we have this book. We have the Bible. We have the uh, manual that God has given us for how to lead. How is the body coming together according to the Word of God? And, and so Paul is telling Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. It's interesting how that people's view of us can really shape what we do. For Timothy, it was about his young, it was his youthfulness. How can this young guy lead? Well, I think Paul would say, well, Timothy, if you're leading according to the book, that's what's important. Now, I would say to you again personally, I don't think that's my issue. I don't think anybody's saying, how can this young guy? I think the top of my head at least points out that I have a little bit of age. Some people say, well, you know, there are things you can do for that. And I'm fine with those who do something for that. I, I've just always said it took me a lot of years to earn this stuff. What in the world am I going to do to try to cover that up? But sometimes it's, in, in one sense, it's like you, you really could never make everybody happy, right? Opinions are always changing from one generation to the next. Preferences are always changing. And there are little things, whether it's the tone of someone's voice, whether it's the color of someone's hair, or whatever it might be, that people can always find fault with. And Paul is trying to say, Timothy, you're young. Don't let that keep you from doing the work of God. Now, some of us, again, we could say, don't let the fact that we're old let that disqualify us. Physical maturity never disqualifies someone from serving God. Whether we're young or old, physical maturity doesn't disqualify us. Spiritual maturity disqualifies us. That can be young, that can be old. We can be spiritually immature, young or old. It's not the opinions of others that should shape what we do. It should not drive us. 
What Paul is calling Timothy to is his example. Don't, don't get so caught up in people's opinions. Be more concerned about the example that you're setting. And look at the example he told him to set. Again, this is more for the insiders, for the brothers. That's, that's what he said. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example. In what? Well, five things here. In speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. So one, first area of speech. How you talk to and about others. Timothy, it doesn't matter how young you are. Whoever it is, no matter how young or how old, set an example in how you talk. Your age, whether youthfulness or whether it's oldness, doesn't give you a right to talk to or about people in an ungodly way. Set an example. You may not agree with somebody. The way you talk to them, your tone, your very words, God's concerned about. Know that we're accountable for every word that comes out of our mouths. Know that what comes out of our mouths is a reflection of what's in our hearts. It's not even the words that God's so concerned about, but it's the heart that lets out those kinds of words. And so set the believers an example in your speech. How have you been talking this last week? Those lines that you've been standing in at the stores, how have you been talking to and about people? Those people that live near you, how have you been talking to or about them? Those people who live with you, how have you been talking to and about them? Set the believers an example. Yes, it does start with Timothy as a lead pastor, as one of the elders and and all of the elders. But it's not given just because he's an elder. It's given because God wants this of all of his people. Set an example that others can follow. Examples are important. And we like to maybe uh, make light of an example and say things like, well, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm responsible for myself, you're responsible for yourself. And there's some truth to that. I am responsible for me, you're responsible for yourself. But God said you're responsible for the influence you have on other people, for the example that you set as well. So set an example to the believers in speech, how you talk to and about others. Set an example in your conduct, how you act when others are looking and when they're not. It's sometimes more focused on when other people aren't looking. That shows really more who you are when you are in secret or when you're by yourself. And there, again, there, there, there's importance to attach when others aren't looking. But there's also importance to attach when people are looking. In your conduct, what kind of example? What if everybody lived their life like you did? What if everybody served their family like you served? What if everybody served in the church like you serve? What if everybody lived their lives like you lived? Are you setting an example in your conduct? And of course, more importantly, how does God see your conduct? How about in love? Set an example in love, how you treat others on their good days and bad days. Now, I I think I'm pretty good at loving people on their good days. When somebody's acting nice to me, it's easy to be nice to them. When somebody's talking nice to me, it's easy to talk nice to them. But it's on their bad days when maybe they've had a bad day. Maybe, Maybe they're not feeling very good. Maybe they're feeling pretty sinful and in the flesh in that moment. But did you know God's called you to love people at those times? Say, wait a minute, they don't deserve it. I'm just going to give them what they deserve. And 
God said, no, that's not your responsibility. That's my responsibility. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How will they know that you're following Christ and you're a part of his family by the way you love? By the way you love each other on the good days and the bad days. Set an example in love and set an example in faith. Faith is how you present yourself when you know what to do and when you don't know what to do. You're, you're faithful because you know what to do on this day and you're doing it. You're obedient. And on those days you don't know what to do, you're making decisions and you've not arrived there yet, you're still obeying God and being faithful even when you don't know what to do with that next decision. You're being faithful. Not hypocritical. You're being consistent. You're living your life out. You're abiding in Christ. And you're preaching the gospel to yourself, understanding the depth of his love that he would send his son to die for our sins and he would cause him to rise from the dead so that we also could have life. We preach the gospel to ourselves. He who did not spare his son for us, will he not freely give us all things? Will he not provide everything that we need? We're given an example in faith. And then that fifth thing in purity. How you think of others and look at others when they're dressed well or not. Now back up in chapter 2, Paul told Timothy to train the women to dress modestly. You go back and read it, 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. But whether we're out on the street or in the grocery store or whether we are anywhere, be a pure person thinking and looking in a holy manner. How you think of others when they're dressed well or not. Some people say, well, you know, it's not my responsibility if somebody's going to look at me in the wrong kind of way. And again, there is some truth there. That person has to take responsibility. But we should not cause someone to stumble either. And so impurity is both how we dress and how we look. But for Timothy, it's be a man of purity, be a one-woman man, even if he's not married. Being a one-woman man is treating everybody that I'm not married to as a brother or sister or as a mother or as a father. We'll look at that next week in 1 Timothy chapter 5, how we treat other people. But especially when we are married, it's a man being a one-woman man and a woman being a one-woman Thank you. This is a sharp crowd. A one-man woman. It's, it's being obedient. It's being focused. I think I can get this back now. You guys help me get this back. You get the idea, right? It's purity. It's purity. Our, our goal is not for others to see, man, isn't he a great man or isn't she a great woman? It, it, our goal is to point others to Christ, to be a city on a hill, a group of people who are walking with God and loving God and obeying God that people look at and say, why do you live like that? Why do you believe like that? In 1 Peter 3.15, then, when people ask us the reason for the hope that we have, we're able to give them that reason, Jesus himself. That's why we live like we do. That's why we believe like we do. Be more concerned about your example to others than the opinions of others. Now, 
Let me, let me make this final point before we move to the second point. What others think of us outside the church is important. It's not as important as those who are inside the church. What those who think of us inside the church is important, but it's not nearly as important as the one who is over the church, Jesus himself. Ultimately, we obey him. That's where our loyalty is. We have responsibility for those outside the church. We have even more responsibility for those inside the church, but we have a much greater responsibility for the glory of God. That's ultimate. As important as outsiders and insiders are, the ultimate is the glory of God and living our lives in a way that pleases him. The church's public perception. Let me give you the second point this morning. Be more concerned about the message of the church than the style of the church. Now, this is not easy in our day, is it? Because we're, we've, we've moved in our culture to a consumer mentality, and we want things our way, right? But are we as much concerned about the message that our church is communicating than the style? Now, just like I would say what others think is important, not as important as your example, our style can be important too, but it in no way compares to the importance of the content of what we're doing and the message that we're preaching when you read this next portion, it's not that Paul said to Timothy, I'll tell you what, everything you do, you do it with excellence. Everything you do, man, you just got to keep it moving like it's, like it's a, a movie that everybody's watching, like a video clip. Make their service so just precise. Now, again, do we not want to do things with that? Sure we do. Do we not people, want people to enjoy it? Sure we do. But if we're not careful all the glitz and the glamour, all the gadgets and gizmos overshadows what's most important. And that's our message. Paul, Paul, again, he didn't tell Timothy, you make sure you have all of these certain things right that provide the kind of environment. As a matter of fact, I would think probably in Paul's day, they could have not envisioned a worship center like we've been given. For many of them, it would have been... Uh, maybe under a tree, maybe out in some kind of building, maybe in somebody's house. They would have never have even imagined, man, a nice air-conditioned building with padded seats. And I'm grateful for air condition. I'm grateful for padded seats. But what I'm saying is, if we had hard seats and no air, would you still come and hear the Word of God preached? It's the message. And so whether we're singing or whether we're preaching, we're coming back to the Word of God. May no song ever be sung that contradicts the Word of God here at Lawndale. May no sermon ever be preached at Lawndale that contradicts the Word of God. Look, look at Paul's emphasis here. He, he says in verse 13, Until I come... Devote yourself. Notice the passion and the devotion and the loyalty here that Paul is communicating to Timothy about the Scriptures. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. He's saying to Timothy, in my words, be more concerned about the message of the church than the style of the church. 
So the message is from the Scriptures. He said, read publicly the Scriptures. In one way, the reading is teaching us how to, how to listen to God for ourselves. Publicly read the Scriptures. Some people say, well, you know, if you're reading Scripture publicly, I mean, go ahead and get on into the sermon. I mean, go ahead and do something. We, we can read the Scripture for ourselves, right? And, and Paul is telling Timothy, there's value in publicly reading the Word of God. That's the moment you get the pure thoughts of God. My goal is to accurately present the thoughts of God in, te- in preaching and teaching. But when we read the Scriptures, you're getting the pure Word of God. There's no contamination. Again, we pastors, we stand before you and we teach and we preach the Word of God. Part of our prayer, part of our, our love for God is to to be as least polluted and contaminated with our own opinions and ideas as possible. Our goal is to expose this uh, Word of God to you, to explain the Word of God to you. And so when we publicly read the Scripture, I mean, you're getting it fresh from the fountain. This is the best stuff. And so when you're at home, we're saying, read the Word of God. Learn how to listen to God. You're getting the pure heart of God, the mind of God, through the Word of God. He's revealed Himself through this book. And so regularly, daily, read the Word of God and learn how to listen to Him. And when we gather, and we should gather, don't forsake the assembling together of ourselves. We should gather. And when we gather, Paul was saying, Timothy, when the flock is together, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to exhortation. What does exhortation mean? Well, it's a challenge. It's confronting. It's exhorting people to obey the Word of God. So if reading is listening to God, exhorting is is obeying God, it's learning to respond to God. If you come to all of our services at Lawndale and you walk away every Sunday feeling good and pumped up, I'm not doing my job because I'm not exhorting you. Timothy, everybody's not going to like you because some days you're going to step on some people's toes and they're not going to like that. Timothy, some days there are people who are living in sin and I want them to repent and I'm going to have you to preach a a text, a word from me that's going to confront their sin. There there are going to be times that people are kind of laid back and they're coasting and they're complacent and they're apathetic. And and Timothy, I'm calling you to preach God's word and it's not always going to sit well. And the word is going to pierce some hearts. It's going to be that hammer that breaks down. Now, I would rather be broken down by the word of God than the trials of life. Some of you are going through the trials of life and you know what it's like to be broken down right now. And Maybe it's no, no thing you've done in your own life. You're just going through a hard season. And part of those trials in life in a fallen world are designed to bring you back to the word of God. To get your bearings again. My, my example that I use is that pilot flying in the, in the sky 
the storm comes up and there are clouds he can't see ahead of him. He's tossed. He didn't know if he's going east or west or north or south. And he didn't know if he's up or down. I mean, what does he do in that moment when he doesn't know what to do? He doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know what direction to go to. He reads his instruments. What do we do? We keep coming back here to the Word of God. Timothy, exhort the people to obey God, to do what God put them here on earth to do. Devote yourselves to the public reading of Scripture. Devote yourself, Timothy, to exhortation and to teaching. That is, learn how to walk with God. Explain how to be in a relationship with God. Explain how to walk with Him and enjoy Him. It's understanding the Word of God. Why are we so concerned about biblical illiteracy? Why are we concerned that people don't know what to do when they open up this book? It's, it's because this is, this is what makes us wise unto salvation. This is what God uses to sanctify us and to grow us. This is how He's chosen to do His good work and to equip us for every good work. And so, Timothy, you're not doing your job if people aren't learning how to listen to God, how to obey God, and how to walk with God. That's your job. You're equipping people for this ministry, Timothy. Be more concerned about the message of the church than the style of the church. If you walk away and you say, you know what, we, we sung an old hymn today. I, I just can't. You walk, we sung one of those new songs today. You know what, you're more concerned about the style of the church than the message of the church. Notice, too, the message by the Spirit. In verse 14, do not neglect the gift. You see, the Spirit is the one who gives us gifts when God saves us and then we grow into using them. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. I'm sure Timothy had struggles in his own heart and mind. There were times he wondered, God, is this worth it? This is, this is tough preaching and it's tough leading and and there were times that Timothy had to go back and rely on that internal call that the Holy Spirit gave him and and Paul was acknowledging that in chapter 3 and verse 1 remember the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task there's an internal call that when God begins to call someone out for ministry that they begin to desire that that's why sometimes people say, well, if you can do anything else, don't. And, and I get that. But God begins to do something in someone's life that they can't do anything else. And it's that internal call. But what Paul is doing back now in verse 14 is he's talking about that external call when those elders, those church leaders came around Timothy and they said, we affirm this call on your life. You see, that's the bad thing about voting as a church family, isn't it? Because when you vote in a pastor, you're saying, man, I, I voted for that guy. You know? I, I, I hope you see the humor in that. But what I'm saying is I have to come back to that too at times. Is that God, I know you called me here. It was in my heart. You began to work and you spoke to me through your word. And, and the people around, they affirmed that call. And there are days all of us have to be remembered that call of God on our lives to be in His family and to make disciples. And Is it worth it? Yes, it is. 
So it's the message by the Spirit, that call of God that's affirmed through uh, the body. And then it's the message of sanctification that we should be concerned with in the church. Notice what Paul told him in verse 15. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them. I, I love those two statements. Practice these things every day. Be faithful to God. Don't, don't slack off. Don't get discouraged. Keep on moving forward. Practice these things. And not only practice them, but immerse yourself in them. Don't let your life be pulled in any other direction. Let this be your life, Timothy. This is what God put you here on earth to do. Find what it is that God put you here on earth to do. And of course, we know what that is to know Him, to walk with Him, to love Him, to enjoy Him, and to glorify Him. Do that thing. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. So there's that element again, isn't it? The church's public perception that all may see your progress. So that as people's lives began to bear fruit, as more and more men step up and love their wives like Jesus loves the church, as more and more women step up and follow their husbands like the church follows Christ, as more uh, men step up and in their workplace they begin making disciples and more women step up and start making more disciples and, and, and in the community we start loving our neighbors and reaching out to them and building relationships and show the love of God and we're setting an example in our, our speech and our conduct and our love and our faith and our purity. Do you see? Let every, Paul, Paul told Tim, let everybody see your progress, Timothy. What God's doing in the church and through the church and the changes that are coming about in people's lives. A changed person will change the church. You watch one man or one woman get excited about his or her relationship with God and start growing. It changes the dynamics of all the people around them. A changed person begins to change. A changed church will change a city in a nation. It's easy to point fingers, isn't it, for our world? I mean, the, the public schools, I mean, the, the government and, and all of these fingers. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible ever point out anywhere except to the believers to say that's where the problem is. That's why we're talking about revival. Church, we're being renewed again to take the, the mission that God has given us and Yes, it will impact. That's not why we do it to impact. It's not why we do it so that others will look. But as we do the work of God, others will begin to see our progress. Does it really matter? I mean, you've got a lot of stuff to give your life to. Does it really matter? Verse 16, as we close out this text and this message, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you see the tension here? The balance of keeping a close watch on yourself and a close watch on your teaching? What you do and what you believe? You see, sometimes it's all about what I do. I just got to keep doing stuff, doing good things. And that leads to self-righteousness. Sometimes it's, I just got to learn and believe all the right stuff, and that leads to self-righteousness. But when you start putting this together and what you believe through the Word of God, it begins to impact how you live. 
And both are in, keep a close watch on your life. Don't, don't, don't give up. Don't give an inch. Don't compromise. Keep a close watch on your life, Timothy. It's not about how far can I go without sinning. No, can I do this a little bit more? Can I get outside this parameter? It's not about how far I can go without sinning. It's more about how holy can I be. Keep a close watch on yourself. Didn't even say keep a close watch on your neighbor. We like to do that, don't we? Keep a close watch on yourself. And keep a close watch on your, on, on your teaching. Make sure you're teaching the Word of God. Put enough time and effort and energy to make sure you're bringing to bear the Word of God. And, and all of us, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this. Work hard at it day in and day out. For by so doing, this is, why, this is where our question comes back, does it really matter? You will save both yourself and your hearers. What does that really mean? Can Timothy save himself? Can he save anybody else? Well, we know that's not what the text is saying because we compare Scripture to Scripture. It's by grace you're saved, Ephesians 2.8. It's by grace you're saved, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man uh, should boast. So we know that's not what it's talking about. Paul wouldn't write that to the Ephesians in Ephesus in that letter, nor would he write it to Timothy who was pastoring the church at Ephesus and contradict himself. So what does it really mean? What it means is that our authenticity will become evident. Our salvation will become evident. Maybe what Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, work out your salvation. You can't work for it, but you can work it out and it becomes evident, the fruit of your lives. We talk about someone is saved if they're genuinely saved, they will always be saved. That means they persevere. They, they grow in their faith. And so a genuine, listen, a genuine relationship with God progresses in likeness to God. So Rodney, am I really saved? Well, are you making progress in Christ's likeness? Are you becoming more like your Father in heaven? It's a clear command, be holy as I'm holy. Be therefore perfect as I am perfect. We should be making progress in our sanctification. And if there's no progress in sanctification, I might go back and think, man, maybe there's been no justification. Maybe there's been no conversion. Maybe there's been no salvation. A genuine relationship with God progresses in likeness to God. And progress, growth, that is, spiritual growth, points to the genuineness of the relationship. Am I saved? The best assurance anybody can have is the growth of Christ's likeness. It's the spiritual maturity that's happening. When, when you're walking with God and you're spending time in His Word and He speaks to you, man, that's assurance. When you're praying and God is working through your prayers. Man, that's assurance. When you're making disciples and you see people who are growing in their faith, boy, that's assurance. Now, reading your Bible and praying and making disciples won't save you. But if you are saved, if you have surrendered your life to Christ, if you've confessed Jesus as your Lord and you've placed your faith in His death and resurrection, you're going to start seeing that progress in a person's life. Paul's pointing this out to Timothy and encouraging him. There is a perception that is given, and Paul's trying to tell Timothy the greatest, 
The greatest perception is what God thinks. And when you worry most about that, what others think, especially those even outside the church, that God will take care of himself. Church, what will make America a better nation? A better church. We're not going to be able to legislate it. Do we pray for our president? Yes. Are we thankful for our servicemen and women? Yes. Do we pray for them? Yes. God didn't give them the role of making disciples. God gave that to the church. Church. Obey God. Follow Christ and he will make you to become fishers of men. Let's pray together. Father, we know that we're not where we need to be yet. Thank you for bringing us to where we are. We know that we would not be where we are, we would not be saved, we would not be a church if it were not for the good work that you've done in our lives. Thank you for that kind of grace. But Lord, we, we know you deserve so much more than what we've been giving you. May our lives be consumed with the thought of what you did for us on Calvary the price that was paid for our sin. May our lives be consumed with the power of the resurrection and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. God, make us more like your Son. Make us into a church that's ready for your return. May we be faithful to making disciples of all the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.